This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. Wildcard weekend done. On to the divisional round we go. The opening line is back again and I'm here with Adam Chernoff to discuss the upcoming games in the NFL as we edge closer and closer to that season finale. How's things going, Adam? Uh, we're past last Sunday by a couple of days now, so it's going a lot better than it was on Monday morning. But that was a, uh, a rough way to ease into the NFL playoffs, to say the least. Is there many weekends like that in recent memory for you? It's It seems like every week has been like that for about the last three months, but it's just been it, not results-wise. Uh, that was certainly the worst results-wise one for me um, of the entire season. But uh, it's just been since about mid-October, just a grind. And I went back and looked through the P&L, and everything's still in the green for the season, but it sure feels like it's significantly worse than that. It's just kind of how the last sort of half of the season played out, uh, trying to say the least. Right, so we're, we're obviously here to, to preview the upcoming games. I think just before we get into it, maybe we can do a quick review of the, the games that we saw of the, of the weekend, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Cool, so we had the first game up was the Texans beat the Bills 22-19 to 19 in overtime. I mean, we could probably talk about that just for an hour on its own. It's a very strange game. <laughs> what did uh, What did you make of it? So I think offensively, a lot of the output is going to be ignored just because of how ugly that game looked. But from just a pace and a yardage perspective, that was a game that typically you would see with that sort of output play into the high 40s, right around the 48, 49. And you look at some of the the missed red zone opportunities, which we'll probably get into on this Houston defense in regards to where the Buffalo offense really slowed down. But Buffalo left a ton of points on the field. So... Um, I think a misleading result to an extent uh, that the Houston Texans are carrying with them into this matchup against KC this weekend. And then we went from one weird one to another. Tennessee Titans upset the Patriots 20-13 to 13 at Foxborough. Maybe the you talk about kind of skewing or, or misleading. Maybe that defensive score at the end skewed things a little bit. It was Patriots have been strong all, all season on the defense, and they just they couldn't handle Derrick Henry. Do you think, was the result fair, do you think? Well, you wouldn't expect the quarterback to go into Foxborough and lead a team with 73 passing yards and come out with a victory. And that was what we saw from Ryan Tannehill. The Patriots said, if Henry wants to run the football, we can let him beat us because if we give up 200-plus to Henry... Uh, it's better than giving up 300-plus to Tannehill. And they were able to limit the Titans' offense to just Derrick Henry. And I think when it comes to running attacks like that, it can be a little bit misleading in terms of what people take away from the game because it's so obvious to see based on how we watch the game. So obviously a a good result for Tennessee. They earned the win, uh, but it was more so, I think, a struggle of the Patriots' offense not able to take advantage of the Titans' defense. They get that first and goal converted into a touchdown late in the first half to go up 17-7. to I think this game plays out in a very different way. But Titans overall, just 49 offensive plays, 4.8 yards per play, and 73 total passing yards ended up getting the win in Foxborough. So make of that what you will. And obviously no more Brady now for the rest of the season. Put you on the spot here. If you were to come up with a long list of where he ends up next, who are you, who are you putting as favourite? I think he's back with New England. Um, I think that's the most likely option. And then I think second 
probably you would have to look at a bigger city, warmer climate, just based on his family, his wife, that lifestyle that he lives uh, with health being so important. Um, probably potentially looking at LA Chargers. That's the popular one swirling around. Uh, but he also has ties to a place like Miami with Flores in as a head coach. Um, same sort of spot that fits the lifestyle, a team that's going to be shopping for a QB. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch to say within the division, but um, I think New England probably the most likely return spot for him. But if not, uh, he's going to be in a warm weather city, either on the West Coast or down in Florida, is my opinion. Now we'll move on from one upset to another. Another game going to overtime. Vikings beating the Saints 26-20. to Consistency's been the key for the Vikings all season. Saw more of it again at the weekend. Anything important to take away from the game, do you think? A- apart from the fact that Drew Brees isn't as good as people think, obviously. Ah, there we go. Uh, we finally saw those limitations of him and the offense where, where it was. But it was the matchup, right? It was Minnesota, very good defending the middle of the field, uh, preventing passes to tight ends and, and running backs over the middle. And you have to find a quarterback that can beat you on the edges. And we'll talk about that in just a second in San Francisco. Uh, but it, it was telling, right, when you bring in your backup quarterback on a number of plays to take the deep shots, and then you give one of those deep shots to Breeze, he underthrows it by about 15 yards, ends up in an interception, and it points the other way for Minnesota to end the first half. So um, a really positive matchup in a number of different scenarios for Minnesota that game, and I think we saw sort of the limitations we've been talking about from Breeze. Uh, for the better part of the last half of the season. And if anything, or if everything wasn't strange enough already, we, we kind of ended on a weird one as well. Maybe a case of what, what might have been for the Eagles had they not had so many injuries, but 17-9, to 9, they went down to the Seahawks. Seattle seemed to be struggling those running back issues thanks to a big game from Russell Wilson. Was he, was he the uh, most rushing yards for them, I think? Yeah, led the team in passing, led the team in rushing. Uh, second time this season that the Seattle Seahawks have gone into Philadelphia and won the game 17 to nine. So that's uh, an interesting little stat that doesn't mean a whole lot to take away, but something that probably does mean a lot is you look at the offensive output for Seattle, just shy of 400 yards, 10.3 yards per pass and led all teams in wildcard weekend in terms of expected points added per drop back. So you look at the Seahawks, just a 17 point output, uh, the best in terms of offensive efficiency all around. So uh, not sure if that's necessarily getting taken into this Seattle Green Bay game, at least initially in how the market reacted. So were, were Seattle good or did the Eagles make them look good? Uh, the Eagles, I the secondary, I mean, is where you want to attack them. And Seattle did a very good job of doing that. I think that the Eagles aided them in a way that they were so adamant on shutting down the run game for Seattle, which the Eagles did a great job. But this was an Eagles team that's been shutting down teams running the football all season. The way that the Eagles handled the personnel side, consistently putting seven, eight, nine guys in the box, loading the line of scrimmage, and allowing these big receivers for Seattle to get one-on-one matchups outside with Russell Wilson throwing them the football. So I think it was a spot where the Eagles could have played with limited guys up front and forced the Eagles to or forced the Seahawks to beat them throwing the football. They just didn't do that. They didn't adjust, and Seattle continuously beat them with the other things. So to an extent, I would certainly agree um, that was the Eagles making the Seattle Seahawks look a little bit better. But nevertheless, it was Seattle sort of playing their way into the ideal game plan as well. All right, so a nice little recap there. I'm, I'm ready to jump into the upcoming games, if you will. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. 
Cool. So we've got Minnesota Vikings at the San Francisco 49ers. And this one hit the board at Pinnacle with San Francisco minus six and a half and a 45 point over under. Market seems to like the 49ers. They've nudged them out to seven and a half. But now seemingly people buying back, buying back in on the other side and, and no movement on the total as of yet. Obviously, 49ers coming off a good season, a nice rest week, plenty of promises they head into the playoffs, and they're just an all-round good football team. Up there with the best when running the ball, they've got plenty of options available. Dangerous going through the air. Garoppolo is obviously impressed at quarterback. Very, very good against the pass on defense, and perhaps the one weakness for them maybe is how they perform against the runners, that they're, they're below average on most metrics in that regard. Vikings, we, we said it before, it's all about efficiency. The the 49ers are better than them really across the board. Is efficiency going to be enough to give the, the Vikings a chance? Uh, I think before we get into the matchup, it's important to talk about this number just a little bit because we can sort of see some comparables here in the last couple of weeks. If we just look back to last weekend overall, from the futures market perspective, the 49ers were much short, shorter than the Saints. Um, if we look back just three weeks into the regular season, week 14 we saw that the 49ers closed um as a better team on a neutral field based on what the point spread suggested in new orleans in that game so i don't think that anybody coming into the playoffs had the 49ers ranked worse than what we saw from the saints and minnesota was a seven and a half point dog in new orleans it's not necessarily a to use a golf analogy a clean lift in place but you have to look at this number here, open six and a half, um, telling you a, a little bit about how the bookmakers and specifically betters coming out of that game really sort of upgraded Minnesota in that performance where we're sort of seeing the full adjustment here down through the seven based on what we saw last week in a spot where probably expecting San Francisco to open at seven and a half as a minimum. So uh, I sort of went against that. I grabbed a little bit of six and a half early, but I wouldn't mind potentially looking for a middle over the key number of seven if the support for San Francisco ultimately pushes it up that high. To back to the question regarding the efficiency, what we saw in New Orleans from Minnesota, I think was more taking advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves from the matchup rather than the Vikings continuing to push forward with what was a very good regular season for them um, from an offensive standpoint. But just sort of a list of things that really worked out on their favor. The big one we talked about last week on the podcast. The Saints had two key injuries to starters on the defensive line in that San Francisco game in Week 14. The final three weeks of the regular season, they didn't face an opponent that could really test them on the ground. The Vikings, with this outside zone running scheme, were able to exploit that. And it really illustrated how slow the front seven for the Saints was without those two key starters. The Saints, also as great as their offensive line is, clearly was not prepared for the game plan adjustment the Vikings did on the defensive line. We talked about how good the tackles were for the Saints at blocking those edge rushers. Minnesota moved those edge rushers inside and were able to generate a ton of pressure on uh, Drew Brees right up the middle where he struggles the most. So it was another spot where the Saints didn't adjust. I think we can arguably say that this was the worst performance for both Sean Payton and Drew Brees in their careers that happened to sync up on the same day. Uh, and then we look at the Vikings in overtime when they took advantage of that big play to Thielen. That was the first play after Lattimore went out with the injury. Uh, so he got hurt on the play before. 
Vikings go right at his replacement, get that big completion that sets him up for the touchdown and ultimately sets him up for the win. So there were a lot of different things that just fell in place exactly for the Vikings and Minnesota executed. There's no denying that. But you look at those same sort of factors that made this team as good as they were going into San Francisco. You're getting the slower playing surface, not going to be inside on a fast track like the Vikings play at home or like they experienced last week, which really sped up their pass rush going to be on the grass against San Francisco, going up against arguably a better offensive line that's already seen that wrinkle that Minnesota used, moving those edge rushers into the middle. So they're going to be prepared for that. They've already talked about how they have a tackle that's moving into guard to prevent that from happening. So a lot of that defensive advantage that the Vikings showed against New Orleans likely to be neutralized in this spot. But then you flip it around, you look at this outside zone scheme for Minnesota that's been wildly efficient all season, San Francisco's the fastest front seven in the NFL. They're also very good at setting the edge and forcing those runs back up into the middle, which is where Minnesota struggles the most within their running game when they can establish the outside run. That's really where things start to open up for Minnesota. So it's a very different look against San Francisco, and it's also a very different secondary in terms of strength of opponent that the Vikings are going to face in this spot. If San Francisco can generate some pressure with a couple key pieces returning to the pass rush, going to force Kirk Cousins to make some bigger plays that he wasn't really forced into against the Saints. This is still a Vikings offensive line that there's a lot of question marks about that run game's not working, really puts extra pressure on Cousins. And with how good this secondary can cover, just because the 49ers don't bring the extra guy on the blitz very often, but still generate a ton of pressure, it becomes a bit of a difficult matchup for the Vikings 24th in pass block win rate. So I think this is a spot where things sort of get neutralized a little bit for Minnesota. Number overall, I think seven and a half is the better number. Uh, but I now that I have six and a half in my pocket, I wouldn't mind trying to get the middle here, uh, taking seven and a half to back the other way. I think the best look overall, though, if you can get a first half under 21 and a half with the hook on top of the three touchdowns, probably a pretty nice direction to look for a bet in this spot. What we do on this podcast is we obviously go game by game, week to week, and, and that's to kind of media and stuff like that. But we'll also say to betters kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So although there is obvious comparisons to be drawn between the Saints and the 49ers, how much do you think people can react to just that one-off game that's that's just gone? How much can they react in terms of affecting like the price from what we should see or yeah well, i mean even maybe people's perception and what they feel like before the game to then go go big on the the vikings just because we've seen a good performance against the, the saints i i think it certainly affects it and in this spot specifically um where where the playoffs are a little bit different is as soon as the vikings scored that touchdown and went into the end zone to win the game these prices were available for betting. And the next game um, following that Saints game on Sunday, the Eagles-Seahawks, that didn't start for about another half an hour after. So you have a lot of bettors watching the game. The prices come up, whether they're going to Twitter, Facebook, any social media. They're seeing people talking about these prices that hit the board. If they go back into their sportsbook account to see how much that they won from the game or potentially go again, they're seeing these prices open as well and i think from just the movement perspective um pinnacle open at six and a half which was where the market already adjusted but for some spots that went really really early with the number 
you saw this initial movement happen immediately, like within seconds and minutes of it opening, um, that seven and a half that hit the board at some sort of soft recreational bookmakers was taken immediately down on the board. So I think just because of the position that betters are in and with all of these games being standalone, isolated scenarios uh, in terms of the time slots that they're in with no overlap, uh, it's pretty interesting to see that sort of the focus is really on these opening numbers more so than usual in the regular season where they come out later in the day on Sunday evening. Right, let's get on to the Tennessee Titans at the Baltimore Ravens. For this one, we've seen two points come off the over-under, down from 48.5 to 46.5. The Ravens have dropped ever so slightly from minus 10 to minus 10, from minus 10.5, sorry, down to minus 10. Interesting note from the trades on this one that the handicap could or, or should have been bigger on Baltimore, but they're happy to let the market take the Titans. In terms of the matchup, I mean, it's, it's got to be one of the biggest mismatches for this weekend's game. If the Titans were were overrated before, surely people are going to be lapping up a win against the Patriots. We've spoken about Tannehill and getting a lot of attention because of that apparent uplift since he came in, but Derek Henry is clearly their biggest threat, and we saw exactly why at the weekend. They'll hope he has another big game because it's it's going to be difficult to get anything out of the Ravens when going through the air. I'm not sure if it's because there's so much hype around Lamar Jackson, but the Ravens' defense seems to be a bit underrated this season. They they seem like a well-rounded unit. The traders think there's more room to move beyond the 10. Do you agree with that? Uh, I, I agree with it. And I think to just sort of push on what we just talked about, about the overreaction and answer your question, you look at this game too. So it opened immediately after the Titans got that pick six and went up um, by more than a touchdown against New England um, right after that return. The price hit the board. We saw it open. The traders of Pinnacle posted 10 and a half. And that was at 8.41 p.m. and two seconds, Mountain Standard Time. By 8.41 and 30 seconds, so 28 seconds later, the game had already moved off to 10.5 and, and was down to 10 flat, leaning towards 9.5. And, and you look at how it held for like the next five minutes. There was consistently buyback on Baltimore that just kept getting eaten up uh, by people taking Tennessee. So you're looking at a spot where the number hits the board, and within a minute, there's already an interest for the team that people just saw win the game against New England in an enormous upset. So sort of to answer the question even further with another example this week is it's an interesting spot within the playoffs where these numbers hit the board so quickly, and then you're forced to sort of deal with your snap reaction to what you just saw happen on TV. Um, as you mentioned, very different look for the Tennessee Titans this week. Um, the Patriots, essentially their game plan in the first half was we're not going to let the play-action game, which has been so successful for Tennessee, work. We're going to stop the pass. We're going to prevent Ryan Tannehill from hitting the big home runs. And if Derrick Henry wants to run on us for 200-plus yards, we're going to let him do that because we would rather have Henry go for 200 than Tannehill go for 300-plus with these explosive plays and play-action and Henry go for significantly less. And I think you have to say that the game plan really worked. They held Tennessee the 14 points within that game. And, and we saw one of the worst offensive performances from the Titans that we've seen since Tannehill took over in week seven. Tennessee only ran 49 offensive plays. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, 4.8 yards per play and 73 passing yards. Like the Patriots executed. If you have a home playoff game and you hold your opponent to 14 points, that is a game that you should win a high percentage of the time. And the Patriots, of course, first and goal in the one couldn't get it in. That would have been more than sufficient based on the output that Tennessee had. So I think we see that pick six inflated to 20 
and make these numbers not look as bad as they are. But that was a really bad offensive performance from Tennessee and a really good game plan executed by the Pats. Now you look at Baltimore, not as good of a secondary. Uh, They finished the season fifth in pass success rate defense. I don't think from just an eye test perspective that they're that level. I think it's a top 10 secondary. Uh, But where I'm interested is within this matchup, a lot of people handicapping it are going to point to the run game for Tennessee, rightfully so, based off Derrick Henry, what we just saw. But the Ravens, very good at defending outside zone runs, extremely good at tackling on those runs, less than five missed tackles for the course of the season on outside zone runs. And this is a Ravens team that's significantly bigger and much more physical than the defensive front for New England that the Tennessee Titans just ran over. There are some enormous guys on the Ravens defensive line, as well as in that front seven that make this a very different look offensively for what the Titans are going to have to face. So I think it's a spot where you really have to be handicapping the success that Ryan Tannehill will have throwing the football. And I think the same can be said for Lamar Jackson in this spot too. The Ravens, they're going to get their yardage on the ground. That's the scheme. It's extremely hard to defend. The blocking is very complex. It's a difficult matchup for any opponent. The Titans, much better defending the run than they are against the pass. We're looking at a Titans team that's 20th in success rate for the season against the eighth easiest schedule of opposing passers. So it's a very weak secondary, and in my opinion, the worst remaining in the playoffs. It was the worst going into the playoffs too. But what's, I think, key to this game is how does Tennessee perform on the early downs where they suspect Baltimore is going to be passing, but Tennessee really oversells on those downs to stop the opponent from running the football. You look at how the secondary has performed on first and second down, 28th in pass success rate defense. And again, that was against the eighth easiest schedule of opposing passers. So when teams want to throw in no and run in situations, when you look at Baltimore and how much the emphasis they put on the run, if Tennessee oversells, This is a spot where Baltimore can have some explosive plays, especially on early down throwing the football. If they get the Titans sort of off step and they're calling runs when they're playing pass and pass when they're calling run, it's a spot where Baltimore can really put this game away in a hurry. So I think this is the one game of the weekend that really has that big blowout potential where we could see a big number hung for Baltimore. So um, certainly not disagreeing with what the traders were saying about this opening a bit larger. And I think to your point, we're seeing a bit of overreaction here on Tennessee after that win in New England. Yeah, I mean, Ravens getting plenty of plaudits this season, rightly so. Do you think they're kind of like an example maybe of how a, a tactical shift or like a new play style can make us look at how we review data? Because if on paper their pass offense in terms of like the league list or, or yards per game or whatever metric you're looking at, it doesn't it doesn't look like elite per se but we know just how much teams struggle against them through the air from passing touchdowns and things like that and they've obviously got that unique run game that's so good that maybe they don't have to turn to the pass to put up some big numbers what what's your thoughts on that uh i think it's a really a really good question and i think there's certainly uh a lot of truth to it that when you're able to sort of couple the scheme together with the coaching like there were hires in the offseason and personnel switches to really sell out. And so I think it's more of an example of how when a team builds the offensive scheme around the personnel that they have and put every player in the best position to succeed, um, that's where this is an example of what can work. And we see a lot of teams that 
sort of force the personnel they have into a specific style that the coach wants to run rather than sort of looking at the team as a whole and figuring out what can work best. So the Ravens, their organization is filled with a lot of smart people, heavy on analytics, um, heavy on the use of um, optimal game plan calling and game planning. Um, This is, I think, just an example of how when you put everything together and look at the strengths of the personnel that you have, uh, really what can be maximized and taken from that. So it's fun to think about and see, and maybe it inspires some more switches down the road with teams in future seasons, but certainly Baltimore putting together one of the more impressive seasons, maximizing the talent that they have. All right, so on we go to the Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs. We're talking about market movement, reaction. Another one, good one here to get into. It's a big handicap in the market. Taking it the other way to before, buying into the favourites. The Chiefs were minus eight for the Opas. They're now minus 10. Bet is keen on the over here as well. It's gone from 49 to 51. Seems to have settled around that mark. I know you're a fan of the Chiefs and the numbers certainly suggest that they're a more well-rounded team than last year. Pretty obvious why the spread is so big on this and, and why betters are buying into it. It's not just the Chiefs have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's also playing against one of the worst pass defences out there. While the matchup doesn't look good for Houston on defence, there are some positives for the offence. Talked a little bit last week about maybe Carlos Hyde could be the key because the Bills are just too good against the pass. That didn't really happen. I'll say it again, this week he could be the key because the run defence is obviously the weakest parts of the of the Chiefs game by quite some way. We've got to go a while back to when these two teams played each other in the regular season. Texans won that one. Obviously not a great deal chance of, of that being repeated, but do you think there's a case for them to be made on the handicap? I At, at 10 and a half, maybe. Um, at, we're looking right now at 10. We start to sort of taper off. I have some Kansas City minus eight. And it's another spot this week where I'm hoping the movement continues because I wouldn't mind taking back with some Houston at 10 and a half and sort of opening up uh, the possibility of either eight, nine or 10 point win for Kansas City and getting uh, potential. You don't want to be beating the closing line, Adam. Well, you, I wouldn't mind getting sort of the both sides, but uh, yeah, beating the closing line has not really led to any success this season. Um, but aside from the point, I, I think the case for Houston that could be made, as you mentioned, you can run on Kansas City. Teams have run on them all season. And if you look at what Bill O'Brien wants to do as an offensive like sort of philosophy, it's run the football, run it often, and set up big sort of chunk plays on third down in the passing game. And if you're matching up against Kansas City and you're having success running the ball early, this is very well something that Houston could fall into. And while I don't believe it's the optimal game plan, I think it's the one that the Texans, with their limitations in coaching, are really going to sort of bite into. My concern for Houston here overall is, like you mentioned, their defense. Um, J.J. Watt returns. He gets all the press in the world during that game, makes the big play in the second half. And I think that sort of carrying into this week, we saw that with a bit of a lower total. Uh, and now we're seeing it reversal because you look at that game overall against Buffalo. The Bills had first downs on the Houston 22, 23, and 14 on three separate drives. And they came away with field goals on each put up more than 415 yards in regulation. And that's a Buffalo Bills team that's 28th in pass success rate for the season and 10th in rush success rate on the season. Scored 19 points, but we're talking 
one or two plays go in the other direction. And this is a spot where Buffalo hangs 32 plus on the, on the Houston Texans defense. And, and this is, again, it's a Buffalo defense, 28th and 10th and pass and rough success rate. What does this look like now going on the road and facing Kansas city that's third and fifth respectively in those categories. And I think the pass game absolutely key here for Kansas city and the success that they can have uh, with explosive plays. You get Andy Reid coming off of a bye. That narrative is also extremely strong. But where that narrative is really played out is in the Chiefs putting together a strong defensive game plan. These offensive explosions have not come out of the bye week. It's just a time where Kansas City with Andy Reid has been extremely well-prepared and well-rounded in these games. And my sort of... Uh, interest in Kansas City from sort of the futures perspective, but then also backing them, having them top in my ratings just slightly ahead of Baltimore is how good this defense has looked. They finished the season eighth in pass success rate defense. That was against the fourth most difficult schedule of opposing passers. So it's it's a performance that's been validated by schedule over the course of the season. And they're extremely good at defending three wide receiver sets and defending anything out wide overall. And Houston and Will Fuller is going to get to talk with his return, rightfully so. But this is a Chiefs team that's extremely good at limiting performances from wide receivers and has been for the course of the season. And another sort of negative here for Kansas City will be that Houston already went into KC and came out with a win. And you look back, it was the worst performance that Patrick Mahomes had from a grading perspective on pro football focus for his entire career against the Houston Texans in that game. You ask what was wrong. Well, he was dealing with that ankle injury and he was also coming off a short week playing the Colts in prime time the week before. And that was the game that we really saw him break down health wise. Still, despite it being his worst performance of his career, he went for 273, three touchdowns and a pick. So That's a pretty acceptable performance overall when you sort of categorize that as the worst of his career. I mean, that looks pretty interesting and is probably quite telling about this matchup. And if KC can get coverage on the outside, uh, you have to wonder how this Houston Texans offensive line can hold up. Uh, Chiefs have every single active player on their roster in practice in full this week, as healthy as you will ever see a team going into a divisional playoff game. Watson was sacked seven times last week against the Bills pass rush. Kansas City, very underrated in terms of the ability of their defense to generate pressure on the opposing quarterback. You get the Texans offense on a slower surface going from Energy Stadium and the turf to Arrowhead Stadium and the grass slows down that offense a little bit. I think this is uh, another spot where KC can win this one by double digits. Yeah, just going back to that that game that they had in the regular season, Mahomes had a pretty poor showing. I think Seems to jump out of my memory. I seem to remember Watson having a pretty decent game and, and running with the ball quite a bit. And in terms of the way the Texans approach that, if if we see these rematches and you you see what stands out as a, a successful approach, is there a likelihood that gets replicated or is it the flip side that the Chiefs can then guard against that and make sure it doesn't happen again? Typically, you'll see sort of an overcompensation to defend what beat them the last time. And I think with Andy Reid, as I mentioned, being such a great game planner when he's coming off of a time where he has extra um, preparation, it's a spot where we probably see that overcompensation occur even more. So, as you mentioned, Watson running the football, uh, with it being the playoffs, we see quarterbacks run a lot more. 
uh, a spot where Kansas City likely to be prepared, especially with every single player on their roster able to go in this spot. So it's a it's a full complement of weapons on both sides for Reed to deal with the game plan and adjusting for where Houston beat them earlier in the season. Now, last but not least, Seattle Seahawks at the Green Bay Packers. Bit of back and forth with the total here. Initially 46, now 47.5 and, and potentially dropping back down. Traders said they'd be happy to take the over, but maybe not now it's actually ticked up. As for the handicap, it looks solid as a rock. Green Bay minus four, and, and it looks just like a, a good job from the traders there. The Seahawks are obviously struggling with injuries, and, and had they not played the only team in the league with more important injuries than them, they, they might not even be in this game altogether. Not a great deal goes into analysing how they win this game. It pretty much all relies on Russell Wilson. Um, I mean, that said, potentially Moshawn Lynch could write those headlines. Green Bay struggle against the run, you never know. Um, as for Seattle themselves, they they struggle against the run as well. Could be a big game for Aaron Jones. Green Bay, of course, got the other Aaron throwing the ball. We know how much damage he can do. The market thinks it's the, the closest of the four games this weekend. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would entirely agree that it's going to be a pretty tight game back and forth. And I think it's a nice time to make another sort of aggressive, outlandish statement on what might occur in this game, which is extremely my style, as listeners have come to know. Um, I am going to go in the complete opposite direction of how this game is being handicapped by a lot of betters. And I'm going to say that the Seattle Seahawks have a ton of success running the football. And I look at the Green Bay Packers defense. It's going to be the easiest the Seahawks have played all season. Packers 32nd, dead last in the NFL at rush success rate defense, allowing 55% of opposing runs to grade successful. We know Seattle likes to run the football as much as any team in the NFL, especially within the first half, top three run to pass ratio. But the matchup here from Green Bay, the reason that their numbers are so bad against a run is the scheme that Mike Pettin plays with on defense. He loves to have extra defensive backs on the field, and he loves to have guys who are speed guys that can generate downfield pressure against the opposing quarterback. He's pushed that all season, and you think back to games against the Lions, against the Eagles, there are a number of different games this entire season against the Vikings as well. In the first meeting, there's like six or seven games you can point to where opposing offenses were having a lot of success running the football early, and he just never adjusted because he says, you can get whatever you want on the ground. If you're going to beat us throwing the football, we're going to be prepared for that. And because of the smaller personnel that he puts out on the field and how aggressive the edge rushers are on the defensive line, it sets up extremely well for any team that has a bigger running back coming out of the backfield, but also a team that can do a lot with screens. And you think about Seattle and the personnel now that they have, it just sets up extremely well for what they want to do offensively in their ideal game plan. And where it's usually, like we just talked about, a spot where you can prepare for this and scheme out of it, it's just not something that the Packers have shown a willingness to do. And it's not necessarily something they have in terms of size and physicality on the defensive side in the front seven that they can put out on the field to prepare for this. So I think that Seattle, especially early in the game in the first half, when they really run the football at an increased rate, is going to get a lot of yardage on the ground, which takes a lot of pressure off this passing game, which we know is one of the most efficient units in the NFL. And if you're handicapping the game, you might look at that as a negative, but 
I think Seattle not being forced into third and longs and longer down in distance um, later in the game is really going to set up well for this offense and probably is a little bit of a piece into why you mentioned that the traders somewhat favoring the over. If I look at the Packers, I think a lot of what's going to sort of settle this game overall is going to occur early too. This is the best scripted offensive team in the NFL. The first 15 plays, they lead the league in terms of expected points added within that game script. Matt LaFleur with the extra week to prepare against a very weak Seattle defense, both against the run and against the pass, should be able to put something together that gets points on the board early for the Green Bay Packers within this matchup. I think you nailed it on the head. It's a big game for Aaron Jones, regardless of how those first 15 games go. But it's a spot where I think Green Bay can have success early. If they don't, it's a spot where the Packers, despite Aaron Rodgers leading the offense, this is an offense that's not built to play catch-up football. They have struggled and see a significant drop in their output and efficiency when they're playing from behind, trailing by a touchdown or more. And you look at course of the course of the season, there's been spots where they've been in those games and they've struggled in those three losses. They've struggled to get the comeback. Um, anytime that they've been trailing early, you think to both games against the Lions, despite winning both of those games earlier in the season, they never led for a single second during either game. So pretty incredible stat. But while a lot of people are focusing on why both of these teams shouldn't be here, I think there's a lot getting neglected within this matchup. And the last point I would add, sort of suggesting points within this game, despite the 17-point output for Seattle last week against Philadelphia, the Seahawks led every wildcard team that played on either Saturday or Sunday in terms of expected points added per dropback. Seahawks 10.3 yards per pass. And I think those 17 points, a little bit misleading in terms of the yardage and big plays Seattle was able to put together. So if they can complement that with a ground game, which I think we can, I think this is, it's a tight back and forth game that's competitive for throughout, but one that we can probably see some points in for sure. And there we go. Odds analyzed, matchups assessed, all that's left to do now, keep an eye on the market, wait for that value, value play and, and get the bet down if you can. And obviously look forward to the weekend's action. Um, some great insight as always Adam thanks for coming on I, I hope you enjoy the games and I hope you get some positive results that all your hard work deserves it's been a trying couple of weeks but uh, certainly I if if nothing comes through with some of the early numbers I've had this week then um, it's I'm left scratching my head I think there's there's plenty of people in the same boat if that makes you feel any better <laughs> it, it doesn't get my money back but I guess sympathy never hurt and if anyone is anyone listening is interested in betting on the upcoming games, then head to pinnacle.com. Thanks for listening. Good luck with any bets, and remember to please gamble responsibly.